Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Holy God, may the words from my mouth and the meditations in all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Has anyone ever said something to someone else that you regretted? No? No? What, what's the, sort of, what are some of the clues that, what, what triggers that regret? What makes you regret it? You don't have to say what you said. I'm just curious if anyone has any, anything. The look on their face. Yeah. Yeah, you can kind of feel it as soon as you've said it and you see their face and then empathy kicks in, hey? Yeah. yeah. I remember I was in grade 11 and a young woman in my physics class, she was a year older than me, she was wearing a dress that I thought looked funny, and like the twerp that I was, I said it without thinking. I said that dress made her look pregnant. Yeah. Not the most popular kid that day. And she cried. And I remember just how awful I felt when it happened. And I didn't say it to be mean, I don't think? I don't know. I, I don't even know why I said it. I just kind of did. And I still carry that with me 25 years later. I'm not one of those people who says, I don't live with any regrets. I don't know about that. I, I honestly don't buy it. Because I certainly do. Maybe not about choices I've made that only affect me, but, but about those times that I've hurt people. I regret those times, and I have. I have hurt people. I've never murdered anyone, for anyone who's wondering. But I've made choices that have hurt people. I've been, well, thoughtless, uncaring, but even heartless, even cruel at times in my life. I've done unkind things without meaning to, and I've done unkind things with full intention. I don't know whether or not most of us have, but, but I certainly have. I didn't want to preach this sermon of forgiveness because forgiveness, forgiveness is hard. And I don't just mean that it's hard to forgive, I just mean that it's so complicated. And it's so difficult, and it's fraught with danger, and it's hard to understand what that worry even means. How do you preach a 10 to 15 minute sermon, essentially a soundbite on such a topic, on one that's so full of nuance and depth and danger and hope? One that I don't fully understand myself. One with so many perspectives for folks to take in a story of, of forgiveness, and, and each one is worthy of their own treaties. How do you preach on something that has been used for some of the most beautiful acts in history? Moments of grace and compassion and reconciliation, and yet also been used as a cudgel, as a, a bludgeon, as a weapon against those who have already been hurt, or wronged, or abused by those who wish to continue to maintain, maintain power over those they've wronged. I mean, how does a wounded party forgive? What does that mean? What does that look like? What's the process there? 
What about the party who's done the wounding? What does forgiveness look like for them? What about the community surrounding both groups? What's what's their role in all this? This is a huge topic. But Jesus' words, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. They jumped out at me this past week as I read this passage. Now, some of you know Thomas is my favorite story in Scripture. But as we were reading this passage, for some reason this week, it was this line that kept jumping out at me. So that told me something. That told me, here's where you need to do your work, Tim. And they jumped out at me because they're kind of tough. They start out sounding really appealing and, and gentle and heartwarming even. We like that stuff. It makes us feel good. We kind of just want to hear that, that if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. We kind of just want to hear, hear that part of it. But to be honest, deep down inside, I don't believe it. Maybe I should say, I don't believe that on its own. I want to believe that. I like that. That's the sort of the warm fuzzy for my brain. That's the easy one in my brain for me. But that second part, if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. That sounds kind of mean. That sounds kind of vengeful. Where's the grace in that? Forgiveness is a wonderful thing, though perhaps the translation is better to use the word release in this passage. Uh, If we release the sins of any, they are released. But that's what forgiveness is. It's a a state of relationship where, where the sins of the past are no longer held on to, where they no longer dictate a relationship. But you can't just do that. You can't just say, well, I I guess I have to forgive you so you're forgiven. You can't just say, well, I shouldn't have done that, but hey, I'll let it go and they should too. That's not how it works. There's no justice in that. In fact, thinking along those lines has done tremendous damage, tremendous damage in our world. Where Christianity is abused in that way or misused in that way. We see the damage that it can do in in abusive relationships when the the abuser somehow demands or asks for forgiveness before they've been held accountable, before before there's been any change. We also see damage in it when we talk about systemic sin, like like racism. A common phrase where this is buried into are phrases like, well, sure, residential schools were very bad, but they should get over it. It's in the past. That sort of embodies this sense of unearned forgiveness. They embody this sense of of demanding cheap grace. Sin or harm, whatever you want to call it, it can't be truly released until there's accountability. Until amends have been made. Until a process of reconciliation and restoration have been followed through on. Otherwise, it just continues. So, 
I think that's what Jesus is getting at. I think Jesus is holding this up that, that yeah, release of sins is great. Forgiveness is great, but there's got to be accountability in there. If you're carrying something that you've done, you can't just say, well, that's fine. I'm done with it. I've been forgiven. There's got to be accountability there. And so what I love about the Thomas story is that it offers us a wonderful story of what I think is true grace. It's unfortunate that Thomas is referred to as doubting Thomas, because for me, the most important part of this story isn't when he says, I don't believe it. It's when he gasps and he says, my Lord and my God. There's a, a, a complete and utter transformation here. And how does that transformation happen? Well, it happens by touching the wounds of Christ. And that's the first step, I think, in accountability. Touching the wounds. For all of us who have made mistakes, who have hurt others, if you want to begin that process of release, that process of letting go, and you got to put your fingers into those wounds, metaphorically. You've got to know them. You've got to hear them. You've got to, you've got to feel them. That's the first step. And, and it makes sense, doesn't it? When we've been hurt or, or harmed, there's something deeply instinctual, something, a part of us all that, that wants the harming party to know what we felt, to know the pain that we've carried. And it's basic, and you see it in kids. I see it in my kids. They want to show their, their brother how their feelings have been hurt, maybe not in the healthiest way, but they want to show this is what it felt like when you did that to me. This is what it feels like when you don't share. You're not going to share that with me? Well, guess what? I'm going to take this and you never get to play with it. Now you know how it feels like. I think of folks in Ukraine. I think of the, the grief that they carry, the horrors they've seen and, and, and are right in front of their faces. And man, I get that longing for wrath. I'm not even there. And I feel it bubble inside me when you hear some of those stories. And I think it's different from absolute revenge, though they're, they're connected. It's as though our sense of justice cannot fully be satiated until the party that has done wrong knows it. And not just knows it was wrong, but at some level knows the depths of suffering inflicted. Just grasps that, understands what's been done. Because that's what grace is. It isn't, hey, God loves you, so everything is fine. It isn't, you did a bad thing, but God loves you, so don't worry about it. But it's that idea that God loves the world so much that the opportunity for transformation is always available. And if you're willing to try, if you want to put in the work to reflect on who you are, on what you've done, on, on how you've wounded others, and how you've been wounded by others, and do so with a, a longing for renewal and restoration, then God will work with you on that. We all make mistakes. 
That's the beauty of the doctrine of original sin. I know I, I don't like that doctrine. I know we don't like that in the United Church. We kind of kick it out. But, but the idea of it that everyone makes mistakes. There's something comforting about that. Some of them are mundane. They don't have too much bearing on the world. Some of them are, are harmful and hurt people, but they're passing. Some are harmful to ourselves and others for much longer term. And some are so system-wide that they might even go unnoticed. They might even go unreflected on. Unreflected on until, that is, we touch those wounds and our hearts are broken open to them. And some of those system effects, they don't just affect people, but, but the more than human creation. Right? The, the life of redemption is not easy. It's not cheap. It's not simple. And very often we may not even realize that we need it. That we need to restore relationships. That we need to make things new. But the invitation to touch those wounds... To have our hearts broken open by the wounds of those that, that we've harmed, to know the weight of them. It may not seem like a gift, but it is. It's the beginning of God's healing and renewing process. And it's a wonderful sign of God's grace, that the invitation to touch the wounds of Christ is always there. Thanks be to God. Amen.